What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Week 9 What We Saw podcast. I'm Eric Smith of QBList.com, and I am joined by Ryan Heath and Justin Havlock to break down what we saw in Week 9 of NFL action. Uh, We're going to cover Packers-Lions, Pats-Colts, and Bengals-Cardinals. Uh, I know that sounds like a really fun slate of games here, but it was a little bit of a rough weekend to work with from the NFL. So we're going to catch you up on those, what you might have missed, and we're going to go through some uh, opportunity points, uh, regression candidates, uh, kind of sparked by Joe Mixon's performance today. So uh, got some fun stuff on tap here. Um, I'm going to start out with Ryan. Ryan, so I, I guess the Jets listened to your rant from the Sit Start podcast last week. Uh, oh, wait, never mind. Uh, Elijah Moore had zero targets on 27 snaps, but they did throw the ball to Denzel Mims. He had four targets, one catch. He played the second most snaps, so that's something here. So, Ryan, maybe they didn't listen to the podcast last week, but uh, the Jets beat the Bills. They're 6-3, and so what do we know about how the Jets should run this team? I think the Jets absolutely did listen to this podcast last week because they made sure that James Robinson scored a touchdown. Uh, The the Jets fans in Discord also made sure I knew that, just – making sure that they understand or that I understand how owned I am. And yeah, I mean, also they beat a legitimate NFL team with a legitimate NFL quarterback. Congrats Jets fans. Like you should actually be happy about this. I I won't even make a joke about it. Like, yeah, I'm mad about Elijah Moore, but Hey, I guess it's working. Yeah, I felt bad. We've got several Jets fans in our discord and uh, after the win, they're excited and they're like, will anyone believe in us now? And, and, there was kind of like a collective, no, not really from the Discord. We were like, be happy, Jets fans. Uh, six and three is awesome. We're glad to see you having some fun here. But until your quarterback is better, nobody's going to believe in it. So it was kind of bittersweet. But I think the Jets fans should still enjoy this because there are a lot worse situations around the NFL right now. So maybe Zach Wilson will be the final piece in this puzzle here. But six and three, that AFC East is uh, a battle somehow. So I didn't see that one coming. Um, also joined today by Justin Havlock. He is our podcast producer, what we saw writer. He's a PL Plus moderator, which you all should all join, um, our, our Discord community. That's a ton of fun. And Justin, unfortunately, you're also a Packers fan. So we may have picked, uh, I don't know, good time, bad time to have you on. I'm not sure how you're feeling, but welcome. We're glad to have you on here. Yeah, glad to be here. I'm feeling great right now. Actually, the Packers seem to be uh, closing in on a nice high draft pick to land a new QB next season. So <laughs> yeah, things that's... are slowly looking up for next year. Some words you never thought you'd say, right? But uh yeah, it's uh, we'll, we'll get into that game a little bit later on, but we're glad to have you here. You've done a lot of good job, uh, good work getting this podcast out every week. So um, we're going to try to get you on another week where you have more some positive things to say. But um, otherwise, yeah, uh, we're going to get on to the next segment here. We're going to get into some positive regression candidates and some underperformers for Oppo. Um, Ryan, why don't you break this down for me? Because I do a terrible job explaining what Oppo is. So tell us a little bit about Oppo and then some of these players we're going to get through this week. I mean, I also do a terrible job explaining what it is because it all goes a little bit over my head. I feel I feel like I'm just not quite smart enough to totally explain it in the best way possible. But essentially, Oppo is this model that our uh, resident Kyle Bland has here that basically takes all of the opportunities that a player gets, um, targets or carries sees where they are on the field, how far down from the line of scrimmage they are, everything, every piece of data you could get about a single play. And it creates sort of a value for each of those opportunities based on how often they usually result in a catch in a certain amount of yards or especially in touchdowns. So basically if a player is overperforming uh, their oppo score, 
that would say that they are a candidate for negative regression, uh, that they've been more efficient than is probably sustainable. And just the opposite, if a player is underperforming their oppo, uh, their opportunity score, then they're a candidate for positive regression. It means they've probably been getting unlucky. Uh, you can make arguments about whether certain players are just so good or so bad that they're always going to over or underperform oppo. But in general, we should expect players to, over a large enough sample, end up around where their oppo score is. So the reason I really wanted to bring this up for this podcast was, yeah, because as you mentioned, Joe Mixon, it was kind of the poster child for oppo. The, really, these last two months, it's it's kind of been constant since the first few weeks of the season. Coming into the week, Mixon was averaging 19.3 oppo per game. That was close to the top among running backs. Uh, and he was underperforming that opportunity in terms of actual fantasy points by 4.7 PPR fantasy points per game. So that that was the largest gap of any running back. And he basically just erased that entire gap in a single game. Uh, so what's also cool about Oppo is Kyle will break out uh, specifically touchdowns and expected touchdowns. So you can compare the number of touchdowns a player has actually scored to what they would be expected to score based on the model. Uh, so heading into this week, Mixon would have had 7.3 expected touchdowns to just his three actual touchdowns. And lo and behold, he just scored five and com completely erased that gap. So I, I think what's the takeaway here is, is our whole narrative or our feelings around any player in fantasy football can just change so quickly based on a, a few events, like j just a handful of touchdowns and those can run hot or cold very quickly. So I kind of thought it would be a good idea uh, taking Mixon as a lesson to see who might be next. Like what, who are the other players that are vastly underperforming oppo, especially in regards to touchdowns. And we can try to spot some by low targets, or maybe we can sift through and debate if any of these players are good by low candidates. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we'll get into Mixon more in my breakdown of Bengals uh, Panthers, but it, this did feel like regression. Like, obviously, Mixon looked good. The blocking was good. But there was really no sign of this coming. And it, it didn't look like the Bengals tried anything necessarily new. It was just all of a sudden just the floodgates opened and Mixon caught up on all that regression that was due. So it doesn't always happen like that in the NFL. But uh, we we see how week to week this league is. And it's not that surprising to see Mixon kind of get right all at once. So, um, Ryan, your first candidate for potential regression candidates, according to Oppo, it would be Deontay Johnson for the Steelers. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can see all the rotten fruit being thrown at me as I say this <laughs> name because I, I but that that is the narrative of Deontay Johnson is, oh, he's so inefficient. Like he will get all these targets, but he'll never do anything with them. But look, it is it likely that Deontay Johnson is not a super efficient player, hasn't been through his whole career? Yeah, that's what seems to have happened from zooming out the larger sample we have of him. But this year, it's been extreme. So Deontay Johnson's been averaging 16.7 oppo per game. That, that means that he should be scoring about 16.7 PPR fantasy points per game. Right now, his average is 10.2. Uh, and if you look at the touchdowns, a lot of it comes from that. Uh, 
the he has four expected touchdowns in the passing game this year, but hasn't actually scored any. So uh, unfortunately, like the expected touchdowns don't feed my family, but it, it makes you think that this should turn around eventually, right? Like mm-hmm. Chase Claypool was just cleared out of this offense. That I So, I, I mean, that doesn't necessarily do anything for Deontay's efficiency, but maybe it gets him even more red zone targets. Like what, what are our thoughts here on Deontay Johnson? Is he worth just sending kind of a low ball offer for and seeing if you can snag him and hoping that the efficiency turns around? Yeah. I mean, Justin, how do you kind of view some of these players like Johnson, where it's like some people will argue that you're chasing the targets, good players get targets. So it's going to turn around for Johnson. Or do you think he's just an inefficient player at this stage in his career? Do you have any opinion on Deontay Johnson? I think aside from Mixon, all these players here are really dealing with uh, bad or at least underperforming quarterbacks. Like you've got Kenny Pickett, Sam Ellinger, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, um, so that may be having an impact on their struggles, uh, especially when it comes to those touchdown numbers. And I think it's pretty safe to bank on some positive, positive regression, those offenses. Uh, maybe not so much with uh, Ellinger, but um, all these quarterbacks are pretty solid guys you can depend on. Um, and I wouldn't even worry too much about Jonathan Taylor. He's one of the league's best running backs. We all know how talented he is. So yeah. um, I wouldn't worry too much about his touchdown numbers in the second half. Yeah. And I mean, if you sort by targets, Deontay Johnson's up there as he always is, you know, obviously the yardage has been terrible and the no touchdowns. I think for Johnson, you know, with Chase Claypool out of the picture and with Kenny Pickett, who at least theoretically has upside, I know we were, the, the community was very divided on if he's a first round quarterback in the NFL draft, but I, you know, there's at least talent there that a team saw him as a first round quarterback. So I do think there's hope for Deontay Johnson with Claypool cleared out. He's going to get the volume. We just need this to turn into some touchdowns. So I, yeah, Ryan, I think I would advocate buying low on Deontay Johnson, but maybe not like don't expect peak Deontay Johnson with Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, don't expect 16.7 PPR points per game like the oppo would yeah. suggest, but I, I would expect more than 10 like he's been having. So pr- something in the middle there makes a little sense to me. Um, Like, yeah, K- Kenny Pickett, I think, has been about at Deshaun Kaiser level as far as, far as EPA per play through the, the first however many attempts in his career. So that not great for <laughs> historically, obviously, but... Yeah, I I think Deontay is like a pretty low risk type of buy, especially in Dynasty. I need to go go out and make sure to get him on a few of rebuilding Dynasty teams for sure. Um, So the next guy, uh, as Justin alluded to, is Jonathan Taylor. Uh, I I have all sorts of takes about Sam Ellinger that we'll talk about when we get to that game. Um, But Taylor has been averaging 15.6 oppo per game but just 12.5 fantasy points per game, Uh, 2.6 expected touchdowns, but has only scored one actual touchdown. Um, So with Taylor, there's a few things you can point to. I I think you can say, well, he's been banged up. So it makes sense that he is underperforming from an efficiency perspective a little bit, but I guess the question is moving forward. Like, will there be a place where he is healthy and it is able to, perform up to standard. So any thoughts on that, Eric? Like there, there's a lot going on in this Colts backfield right now. So where where do you see Jonathan Taylor ending up like at the end of the year? How will we look back on this? It's hard for me to expect much 
positive regression when uh, kind of like Justin mentioned, it's, it's Sam Ellinger quarterback and he's already injured. Jonathan Taylor is. So this feels more like one that's not going to improve a whole lot. I mean, maybe he gets back on the field healthy and we're seeing these monster games out of Taylor again, but I don't know. This feels like one of those situations where we're going to get um, at best case, we're just going to kind of get some volume rushing out of Taylor without the explosion. And we're kind of hoping for next year for him to get back to speed. I mean, we've just seen so many running backs with these ankle injuries where it saps them. So now I'm not holding out a whole lot of hope on Taylor. Hopefully having this week off, he gets to rest up a little bit and get right. But uh, it's just, it's an awfully hard thing to expect a, a volume runner to get healthy during the NFL season. I just, there's not much evidence that it happens in the NFL. I agree. It, the problem is, so I, here's kind of my conspiracy. I think every NFL team now knows that if you say your skill position player has a high ankle sprain, then <laughs> that makes the fan base get really nervous. So I I think this whole narrative around Jonathan Taylor's injury just being a, a low ankle sprain, I, I don't know how much I buy that because I, I don't think low ankle sprains generally lead to players missing time this much and having injuries reoccur. Like what, whatever it is that's going on with his ankle, I, yeah, I'm not optimistic that it gets better. I mean, you can probably get Jonathan Taylor for like RB2 type of prices right now. Like that, that's probably fine. But yeah, I, I don't think there's much reason to think he's going to outperform that type of price the rest of the year. Yeah. I mean, it kind of feels like a desperation home run swing. Maybe if you're, if you feel like your team's going nowhere. Yeah, sure. Take a shot on Jonathan Taylor, but I'm not banking on him to just snap into this next week. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a fair way to look at it. Um, so the next guy I want to make sure we talk about is Chris Godwin. So entering the week, he had 14.8 oppo per game, uh, but just 12 fantasy points per game. Uh, again, some of this is down to touchdowns. He had yet to score entering the week when he should have had at least one based on the usage he'd seen. I, and like, yeah, we're, I guess we're going to circle the drain again on this box offense, Eric, um, I, I really, for the life of me, I can't really figure out what has been wrong with it. Like they, they've been throwing the ball a lot. Uh, I, I'm not really the type of person that's going to say if, that you should be running the ball and having a balanced offense and that that's going to fix all your problems, especially with how the Bucks have not had any success running the ball this year. So I, I guess I just don't know what the solution is because I don't know what the problem is really. Like it, it, feels like there, there's a lot of plays that should have gone the Bucks way that haven't like that, that wide open Mike Evans touchdown from a week or two back comes to mind. Yep. So I, I just don't know, like, it, is it fair to view this Bucks offense as very mediocre the rest of the way, or should we expect Brady to figure it out? Like we've been saying for weeks and weeks and weeks. Yeah, I've been in the camp that he's going to figure this out for the whole season. And after this week, it's really hard for me to keep that stance anymore. I mean, I know this is against a really good Rams defense, and maybe it's not fair to draw that conclusion finally after this week. But Bucks win 16-13. to 13. Brady, 280 passing yards on 58 attempts. The running game was 20 carries for 51 yards. Like Chris Godwin, who we're talking about here, 36 yards on 10 targets. Even Mike Evans. 40 yards on 11 targets. Like there's nothing explosive in this offense at all right now. The running game's not good. Brady's not looking great. I mean, I I wouldn't throw this all on, on Brady's feet here, but I don't see where the spark comes from. I mean, even Mike Evans got a shot to the ribs. He looked banged up. Like 
I don't know if Godwin's fully back, you know, off that ACL, like it just maybe explosion wise. I just don't see where this changes. And even like as much as we love Rashad White, I mean, he had eight rushes for 27 yards this week. Like, I'm not sure that he's really saving this offense. So it's hard for me to see where this changes. I mean, it's it's these are the players they have at this point. They're all on the field and it it looks like an older team that's banged up and maybe just doesn't have that second gear this year personally. So uh, Justin, I don't know if you caught much of this game in the late afternoon or if you fell asleep during this one because this was a snoozer, but uh, do you have any reason why we should be optimistic about this Buccaneers offense? Uh, I didn't see the game, but um, like you said, uh, Tom Brady had uh, 58 pass attempts today. Uh, he's had at least 40 every week since week two. Um, so there should be plenty of targets to go around, plenty of chances for Godwin to get a season right, get some touchdowns and uh hopefully save things for fantasy managers. Yeah, I guess it depends what your expectations are, right? I mean, if you, if you drop in a touchdown into seven for 36, then all of a sudden that looks like a pretty good PPR day. So I guess, yeah, kind of, are you talking wide receiver one numbers or just like steady wide receiver two numbers? Maybe we just need to know what our expectations are here with this Bucks offense. Yeah, I mean, I keep ranking Godwin as like a high-end wide receiver two every single week. And like, he, he's not been awful. Like you, you're, Chris Godwin isn't somebody that, you're like, oh, he's killing me in my lineup every single week. But there, there could just be so much more here. Yeah, like like I agree with Justin. Like it, on a day with 58 pass attempts, like I just expect so much more. And yeah, but we've said, we've said this every single week. So I think this is – so listening to my thoughts there of, oh, like I expect so much more, but it feels like it just isn't coming. That's what we were saying about Mixon before this yeah. week. And I – convince myself at, as early as Sunday, as late as Sunday morning that, yeah, I guess Mixon's just kind of washed. Like he is just going to underperform Oppo by a whole lot. And I should just let go of this. And then I played no Mixon in DFS and th- that's how my day went today. So I'm going to stick on Chris Godwin, I think, because, because I can't point to something specific about this box offense. So it, I think at least for one game, we're, we're going to be rewarded for keeping the faith on Chris Godwin. Like all he's doing is getting double digit targets, at, but not putting up gaudy numbers on them. So, yeah, I moving on, I guess, to not beat the horse of Chris Godwin too much. Kind of similar here. Cortland Sutton, 14.7 oppo per game this year, uh, but just 11 actual fantasy points per game. The expected touchdowns really stand out here. Uh, so according to all of the targets that Sutton has got on average, those would result in 4.8 expected touchdowns. He has only scored once through the air this year. So I I will say with him, a lot of this crazy usage of him getting targeted very far down the field was coming earlier in the year. That seems to have tailed off a little bit since, um, but I like, I, this is kind of what Cortland Sutton does, right? It was what he did last year. Like he, just gets targeted down the field a ton, like really high value targets, but d- doesn't produce much on them. We kind of thought that Russell Wilson was the key to unlocking this this year, and it hasn't been so far. So I just like w- weekly Russ takes, Eric. Um, they were on by this week, but lo- looking forward, what do you expect? Do you, is there any reason to have any sort of faith in Russell Wilson? I think so. I've kind of alluded to it before. Like, it's really fun to make fun of Russell Wilson at this point. So we're all kind of piling on at this point. Um, but 
I don't think he's this bad. And we've seen hot, cold stretches from Wilson before. I mean, he had, I think, two years ago in Seattle, first half of the year, he looked like the MVP. Second half, it looked like he hadn't played football before, kind of like this year. So um, it is a first year in a new offense, new situation. Like, it, it would make sense for this to be a slow start. So I think kind of what's hurting things, too, is that the Broncos' defense is so good that they don't really need to open the passing game up a lot of games. It's kind of all these gross 12 to nine matchups and that's not good for Cortland Sutton, but you know, they just traded Bradley Chubb. Like maybe this defense slips a little bit, but yeah, I would buy low on Sutton. He still seems to be a heavily targeted player. I haven't seen anything specifically from him that says his talent has slipped. Wilson is always going to have his issues, but I still, I don't see why he can't catch these receivers downfield three or four times a game and, and start picking things up here. So I would be willing to buy low on Sutton. If you're asking me, do I want to start Sutton this week? I think that's a different question. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, we, everyone was starting Mixon this week that had him. Like I, I was going to give a take of, oh, well, if you don't start him that like, that'll yeah. be the week that, that this is like, has been the Kyle Pitts thesis for a lot of this year is, <laughs> When you don't start him, that'll totally be the week for him. But yeah, I, I think that's fair enough. I, I think mo I think the Broncos generally are buys right now. Dynasty, I'm not sure how much I believe. Like there's a lot of downside there if this whole Russ thing doesn't work out with that insane five-year mega deal or whatever it is. But I, yeah, for I think that there's the price on somebody like Sutton should be reasonable enough that I, I think it's worth finding out. Yeah. And a little side tangent here. Don't you think it's a little weird that they're already recouping draft picks because they didn't have any draft picks after the Russell Wilson trade? Like we're halfway through a year. Like they knew this was the deal they made. Why are they already? I, I, I just don't get it, Ryan. Like, I, I don't know how this was your team building plan to, to immediately be like, Oh no, we don't have enough draft picks. Let's trade some people. Yeah, I, I mean, I I don't know if I compared the Broncos to this, but yeah, it's it's like the fumbling manager in your dynasty league that does thinks he's super competitive before the year, and then once a trade deadline hits, realizes he is absolutely not. Yeah. Um, all right, so th those are all of the players that I think could be positive regression candidates. I just also wanted to take a moment, set aside here, and talk about the two players in particular that are overperforming in, especially in the touchdown column, but just way overperforming oppo in general to a point where I don't think it's sustainable. I don't expect either of these players to perform as well as they have been through the first half of the year. Uh, so the, and there's going to be some more rotten fruit thrown at me when I read these names off. So starting with Austin Eckler. Um, so, Eckler has now scored 10 touchdowns on the season. Uh, based on the oppo model, the, his opportunities would on average only lead to 4.4 touchdowns. Uh, before this week, he had not had a single carry inside the five-yard line all year. Like He was getting them inside the 20, but just, just ripping off these big runs in the red zone to take him in from there. Uh, if the Chargers were ever inside the five, then so Sony Michelle would enter the game in Jamal Williams-like fashion pretty consistently. Um, but it then Eckler scored twice from inside the five today. So I maybe this is me hedging and saying, okay, well, they're using him differently. So maybe this crazy touchdown pace will keep up. But I, I think my bone to pick here is not like, oh, you need to sell Austin Eckler. It's 
more just pushing back against a lot of the people I've seen saying, oh, like Eckler was clearly the best fantasy pick in the first round this year. Um, like the, the process on him was so good. I can't believe people were talking about touchdown regression for him. He's scoring so many touchdowns like that. That is just the, that is just the thesis or the, the definition of results-based thinking. So I, yeah, I don't know, Eric, like it, it, is this a bad look for me? Am I, am I just like rationalizing me fading Austin Eckler in the first round right now? Like it, is that what this seems to all be about? Or do you think I have some sort of a point here? So it's hard to talk about this without all the injuries at wide receiver for the chargers. And I think he's just getting volumed his way into the season because they have no other options, especially now that both Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are hurt. So I think that's why he's outperforming them. I mean, he's got four of his reception or receiving touchdowns or four of his touchdowns are receiving touchdowns. So I think if you chop those out, it looks a lot more normal. Um, yes, I, I would agree that he's been lucky with his rushing touchdowns, but it's kind of getting to the point where they just have nobody else. And so I think he's going to continue to overperform until somebody gets there, Keenan Allen or Mike Williams, that takes some pressure off of him. So I agree with you. This is more scoring than he should have done. And maybe it regresses to some extent, but he's just, he's all they've got right now. And so I just don't know. I mean, maybe a matchup against San Francisco slows him down, you know, maybe some tough matchups, but like, you look at his schedule, you're still, he's still an RB1. You're still going to be playing him. It, it may just be splitting the difference between RB1 for the season and RB7 for the season, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think that his outlook rest of season is bad at all. I think, I think it's very good. There aren't many players I would rather have than Austin Eckler for the rest of the season. Um, but yeah, I, I guess this really is just a, about me t- making excuses for why I was fading Austin Eckler. And I, I still think it was good process and that's all that matters. Uh, so the, the next player uh, that is way overperforming in the touchdown column is Nick Chubb. This one I'm a little more worried about. I would be interested in trying to sell high on Nick Chubb, I think. He also has 10 touchdowns on the year versus 5.2 expected uh, and he is outperforming Oppo in total by six points per game. Look, I think Nick Chubb's great. That has never been the argument. Uh, it has always been about, well, he's not a part of the passing game. Uh, his snap rate seems to be completely capped at about 60%, uh, regardless of what else happens in the backfield with injuries. So I like, I guess Deshaun Watson coming back also kind of complicates this because we, we could say that the offense will be entering the red zone even more frequently. So may, maybe that's how Chubb stays out ahead of this. But I, I just see these numbers and think, there, well, there's no way he can keep this up. And I would want to swap him for other RB1 types easily like Christian McCaffrey or Austin Eckler. I don't know what his consensus price is at, but if it's approaching anywhere near that, I am taking the other guy over Chubb. I mean, it's gotta be a super high price. I mean, he's, he is outperforming Derrick Henry at Derrick Henry's game. You know what I mean? Like it's all touchdowns. It's all rushing volume. Uh, It is crazy. Like you mentioned, like at least Derrick Henry is on the field, 60, 70 plus percent of the snaps and, Chubb will be out there 55%. They just give him the ball every time he's on the field. It's kind of wild. I would agree. I mean, even with Watson coming back, like he could take some of those touchdowns with his legs. There will be more passing touchdowns. Like maybe that offsets. Yeah, the Browns will score more, but uh, less of it's going to Chubb. So 
I, I mean, I've always faded Chubb to some extent. I never draft him where he goes and drafts. I just, he's never on my roster. It obviously burns me this year, but you know, I mean, you even look at some of these games, like they've been good games, but um, it's the fancy points aren't always as dominant as his actual performances in the NFL. So uh, he, he still needs multiple touchdowns to reach a 20 point game generally. And there's a lot easier paths to 20 fantasy points in PPR leagues as, as opposed to having to score all the touchdowns. Yeah, I think that pretty much puts a cap on it. So, yeah, th- this has just kind of been my rant on oppo and expected touchdowns and why life would be so much better and easier if fantasy leagues were decided based on expected points instead of actual fantasy points because it, it would be much easier if we didn't have to worry about all this variance. We wouldn't have to have all these arguments on Twitter the entire offseason about who scored too many or too few touchdowns. It it, it would just make things a lot simpler. <laughs> Speaking of Twitter arguments, I realized uh, yesterday that we're way overdue on a Gabe Davis discussion, but we'll get we'll get to that next week. Uh, we'll, we'll do some research for that one because Gabe Davis is having the most Gabe Davis year possible. So that's pretty funny. So, yeah, I guess I would just say I, I think from that conversation, our, our big buys lows would be Chris Godwin and Cortland Sutton. I think they they are in situations we would expect to get better. So I'll, I'll kind of put a cap on that there. But, um, yeah, let's get to Justin and this Packers Lions game. It was, like I said at the top, I hate to have Justin on for this game, but I think this is the game where everyone across the world is like, what is going on with the Packers? So the Packers lose in Detroit, 15-9, uh, to one of those games that you just felt like the Packers were going to pull out the whole game, and it kind of became clear later on that it just was not going to happen. So, Justin, uh, you can start with the Packers. Start as kind of wide angle as you want here. Like, what is going on with this offense? What did you see today? Yeah, I think uh, really the biggest thing I saw today was uh, the worst team in the NFC North uh, lose to the Detroit Lions. Um, yeah, so the Packers are uh, one win ahead of the Lions right now. Uh, but I think by the end of the season, um, this could be really rough sledding for the Green Bay Packers. And like I said earlier, uh, looking at a high draft pick for next year. Yeah, I mean, it, it's rough across the board here. I mean, Alan Lazard comes back and has a decent game, four catches for 87 and a touchdown on, but it's only, it's on 10 targets. That's not real efficient. Like, was there anything in this passing game other than Lazard? Um, was he the clear number one? Like what, what's the pecking order look like here as, as Rogers tries to make this happen? Yeah, I think at this point, uh, Lazard is the pretty clear number one. Uh, the Packers have been very stubborn about refusing to run the football Uh, It's just peppering targets to Alan Lazard all over the field. Um, Romeo Dobbs had started to look good today, 18-yard catch on the opening play of the day, but then immediately left with an ankle injury. So um, after the game, he was seen in a walking boot and crutches. Uh, So it looks like this may be a multi-week absence for Romeo Dobbs, and uh, that should just free up even more targets for Alan Lazard. Uh, And then you just kind of go down the list, and it's just kind of, one thing after another. Christian Watson also left uh, with an injury concussion. Um, Samari Toure actually has looked pretty good. Um, I really liked him in training camp. Um, I think if I was going to take a chance on one of these receivers, it would probably be Toure. Um, But, I mean, Robert Tunyon, Josiah DeGuerra, um, Mercedes Lewis making one of the biggest catches of the day for the Packers, I think just kind of puts a pretty good uh, capper on uh, what this game looked like for the Green Bay today. Yeah, it is rough. I, I only caught this down the stretch of it, but uh, they had a chance to take the lead late. And I just kind of saw Pac uh, Rogers doing these like 
kind of fadeaway passes into the end zone that have worked for him in the past when there's Devontae Adams out there. But it looks really bad when Rodgers is kind of stepping back out of his throws and there's a, a, a receiver like, oh, I don't know, uh, Romeo Dobbs just plastered in the end zone or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? It kind of, he kind of has this nonchalant attitude and it works when Devontae Adams is out there. But right now it's a bad look. And I just wonder what this locker room is like right now between, between Rodgers and then just losing more than they've lost in quite a few years. Yeah, I have to say, I can't imagine it's a lot of fun right now. Uh, a lot of pressure from um, Aaron Rodgers on these receivers. A lot of people talked in the offseason about how this isn't the strongest group of uh, receivers in the NFL. And uh, Aaron Rodgers has been uh, not too uh, kind to them um, in postgame interviews and on Twitter. So um, I can't imagine it's too pretty being in that locker room right now. Yeah. And then, so big story too, Aaron Jones leaves. Um, they're saying x-rays were fine on the ankle, but... It sounds like that's coming from Aaron Jones. I think we should always take these injury updates from the players with a grain of salt here. So do you think if Jones is out that suddenly A.J. Dillon is like a solid RB2 type player? Like have, have we seen enough of this running game to like be going out of our way to start A.J. Dillon? Or is this, I mean, is it really as bad as nine points against the Lions looks? Yeah, I would say um, if Aaron Jones misses times, he can be, cautiously optimistic on AJ Dillon. Um, he's really struggled um, on the ground this year, but um, Matt LaFleur has just been, I think he must've drafted AJ Dillon to all of his fantasy teams this year because he's just been very insistent on getting him involved in this offense and multiple weeks this season, he's been out carrying Aaron Jones, um, who we all know is one of the best running backs in the NFL. Um, mm -hmm. AJ Dillon is perfectly solid running back, but um, nothing at the level of A.J. Dillon. And then uh, I guess the only other thing I'd have to add is uh, Kylan Hill did make his season debut today. Um, we didn't see much of him before the game ended, but um, he's a guy that you should definitely be, um, if you're looking at this point in the year, it gets pretty desperate for running back. So if you're looking to stash a running back and Aaron Jones does miss time, I would say to consider stashing Kylan Hill. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we're really going down the depth chart here. If, if Watson misses time, if Dobbs misses time, it's just Lazard and Toure, like you mentioned. Um, looks like, I mean, even Degara, is that like he's eating snaps, I would assume, from Tunyon here, right? Like Tunyon's probably even a hard play at this point while the offense is struggling. Yeah, it was a pretty 50-50 today between uh, Tunyon and Degara. Both of them got involved. Uh, like I said, Mercedes Lewis also had a big play. Um yeah. It's probably been the Packers' most uh, efficient receiver this year, um, but uh, I think I think it kind of hurts both having Tanya and Deguara both standing out for the Packers. It kind of makes it impossible for us as fantasy managers to decide uh, who to pick up and who to start every week. Yep, obviously they're playing lots of two tight end sets. Uh, Tanya had thirty four snaps, Mercedes Lewis thirty two, Deguara twenty eight, uh, four targets each for Tanya and Deguara. So yeah, splitting up work there a little bit. Well, before we get on to the Lions, like any words of hope or words for doom and gloom, like what's kind of, what are you telling everyone going forward on this Packers offense? Um, I personally don't have much hope at this season. Um, Packers are three and six. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've lost to the Giants, the Jets, the Commanders, the Bills, who are a pretty solid team, of course, but, uh, and then now to the Lions. So, um, I am kind of running out of hope for the Packers this season, starting to look ahead to next year. Um, and I, I guess the big thing that I would add um, is just, I think we need to kind of just acknowledge what Aaron Rodgers is at this point. 
um, in his career. I know he's coming off of back-to-back MVPs, so there are a lot of people that are kind of scratching their heads as to what's going on with Aaron Rodgers. Um, but I, I think I think we just need to stop with all the excuses for him. It's the quality, the quality of the receivers. It's the O-line. It's the play calling. Uh, but we've seen Aaron Rodgers have these struggles with these things before in the past. Um, we've seen him play without top receivers. He won MVP last season without David Bakhtiari in the field for most of the year. And we definitely saw a lot of questionable play calling towards the end of the Mike McCarthy era. So um, I think at some point we just kind of need to acknowledge that Aaron Rodgers probably is not just going to turn it around and have an MVP caliber season the rest of the way. Yeah, I mean, three interceptions kind of stands out for me. I he hasn't done a lot of that this year, but that's something we never see from Rodgers is three interceptions. He had a couple of bad uh, red zone interceptions. So that's kind of a warning flag for me is, is Rodgers is one of the safer quarterbacks in the league. So if that starts to go, that does look like trouble here. So what do you think about this Lions team overall? I mean, I'm sure most fantasy managers are just storming around about the usage of uh, DeAndre Swift. But uh, what do you think about the Lions offense? Um. I thought the Lions offense looked pretty good, uh, especially for a Jared Goff-led team. Uh, they've got a lot of uh, very interesting pieces. Um, I, as Packers fan, I have to say I'm kind of worried if they can get uh, a very talented quarterback in there for next year. Uh, this could be a team that could really surprise a lot of people next season. Um, obviously, like you said, uh, DeAndre Swift did uh, not get as much, uh, did not get involved as much today as fantasy managers may have wanted, um, but. Uh, he was definitely really involved in the passing game, and I think he was just kind of getting eased back in, coming off of injuries. Uh, we saw Jamal Williams take the bulk of the carries, um, and Justin Jackson actually got involved quite a bit today and looked uh, pretty solid uh, backing up uh, Jamal Williams. Uh, so I'm sure over the next couple of weeks, just keep close on, Dion- on DeAndre Swift's carries, but uh, I think either way, he's going to get enough passing work that he's going to be a big piece of this offense going forward. Yeah, 38 snaps for Jamal Williams, only 10 for DeAndre Swift. Uh, He did only run seven routes and had four targets, though, so they were certainly giving him the ball. He had two carries. So the Lions basically told us before this game that he was on a pitch count. I kind of didn't believe them because we hear this all the time from coaches and they do the opposite, but it sure seemed like, I don't know if he got re-injured last week or what, but they're taking it very easy on him because, I mean, he was even out-snapped by Justin Jackson, like you mentioned. Uh, Jackson had 13 to Swift's 10. Uh, Craig Reynolds, I believe, got hurt at one point, so Jackson took over for him, so he seems to be third in line now. Um, But, yeah, I think we're kind of waiting to see with DeAndre Swift. We're obviously not going to get that big breakout that we were hoping for if he's only playing 10 snaps a game, but I would agree with you. Like, if he's catching passes, that is going to help soften the blow in PPR leagues a little bit. So what do you think about uh, Jamal Williams? Is he just like a kind of boring hammer that that scores touchdowns, or is there a little more to his game than that? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good assessment of Jamal Williams, uh, former Packers. So I definitely saw a lot of him over yeah. the years. Um, and he's he's very similar to what the Packers had on the other side of the ball with A.J. Dillon, that he, he's just kind of a, a solid, um, steady change of pace back behind your number one guy um, who can definitely have some big weeks for you in fantasy. Um, but he's certainly not what this team is going to be structuring their offense around going forward. Yep. All right, and then as far as the Jared Goff-led passing attack, uh, kind of a downer here for Amon Ross St. Brown, four for 55 on nine targets. But, I mean, this is a really good Packers secondary. So did you see anything here in the passing game? Like, did it just kind of look like they were uh, Goff was overmatched against this Packers secondary or any, any big takeaways for these receivers? 
Yeah, I, I would say that's pretty much it. Um, Jerry Alexander, of course, one of the league's best cornerbacks. So um, he pretty well shut down Amonra St. Brown for most of the game. Um, and with Josh Reynolds out, it was just kind of Khalif Raymond, uh, Tom Kennedy getting targets in the end zone. Yeah. Uh, and then with the, the TJ to Hawkinson trade, we now have uh, James Mitchell and Shane Zilstra um, making plays for the Lions at tight end. So um, lots of lots of new names to learn here in Detroit. Um, and I think with Jared Goff under center, it's probably not going to matter too much for fantasy. Yeah, it's pretty hilarious. I said to watch out for Brock Wright on the Sit Start podcast going forward to fill in for uh, TJ Hawkinson. Uh, Brock Wright led the way with snaps, 50. Uh, Zane, Shane Zilstra had 16. James Mitchell had 13. But uh, yeah, the two other tight ends scored the touchdown. So I was I was on the right path here, but uh, just the wrong the wrong tight end for the uh, the Lions, which is hilarious. But uh, the, the, those other tight ends did not do much with their time. I mean, they only got three targets combined. So I, I'm mainly kidding. I don't think there's a whole lot here at tight end for the Lions, but it was just funny to see everybody but Brock White right, uh, score a touchdown this week. So otherwise, yeah, I mean, they, the Lions need some of these players to get healthy. I would expect better weeks for Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, Jamal Williams, we just have to start him at this point. Like, I, I don't think we can really uh, nitpick this too much. Like, whether or not he's the greatest player or not, he, he's he's producing from a fantasy perspective. So, um, Ryan, do you have any questions for Justin or any thoughts that you want to add into the, either of these offenses? Uh, yeah. Well, first I want to say, Eric, I'm glad you owned up to that because that was going to be the first thing I said was that the other two Lions tight ends were the ones that scored the touchdowns. Um, but yeah, I guess I'll just weigh in on DeAndre Swift again. So the only, the only bit of this game that I personally caught was DeAndre Swift making a catch on the one yard line. And I went immediately went to discord and typed into our channel and said, they just called the timeout so that Jamal Williams can come in. It was exactly what happened. He got stuffed and then the touchdown went to, to one of the tight ends. I can't remember which one that was, but th- this is DeAndre Swift now until we see otherwise is kind of where I'm at. Like we, we've said, oh, like he's coming back for inju- from injury. It seems like it's his first game back from injury every single game this <laughs> season. And that I'm not even exaggerating. So until we see otherwise, I am not willing to call Swift any more than like a, a high-end flex play, I guess. Like he, he still is what kills me is he still looks explosive and is efficient with his touches, but the team just seems to think that he can't handle all of these. Um th- there was some Twitter analysis of the really weird tape job on his shoulder that I caught today. So I just a lot of like narrative swirling around this DeAndre Swift business. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm not feeling great about him. I, I don't think he's a buy. I've had a few people ask me that the last few weeks and I, I'm not interested for the rest of the season. I mean, at one point this week, Swift said he wasn't sure if he would be a 100% the rest of the season. Like, uh, <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. Like I, I don't know. Uh, the, the injury, trying to figure out the injury stuff is one of those frustrating parts about fantasy football. And the fact that he doesn't know if he's going to be healthy already for the rest of the season, I'm I'm confused by that, but I think we need to take it to heart at this point. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate, but it it at least I think the injury-prone narrative that was swirling around Swift before the year it seems to have been true like it's really strange like i i don't know if you remember eric was swift this way in college like that this has kind of been pretty constant for his nfl experience um 
even in his rookie year, like he was playing, but what I think was missing time with injury as well. Wasn't really getting full workload. Uh, it, it's, and since then it's just been, he is seemingly limited at every single practice. And I, I like, I can probably count on my hand, the number of fully healthy DeAndre Swift games we've had. Yeah. I mean, I'm seeing a couple things in college, like 2018, he had a groin injury and left early. And then 2019, he left a game in the third quarter with a shoulder injury. But I mean, nothing. I've seen a lot worse. This is on draftsharks.com. Like, I've seen a lot worse uh, college profiles than this one. So it's been pretty nonstop ever since. It's, it's, I guess a lot of it's been the shoulder this year. But I mean, we've had an NFL ankle sprain, groin strain, concussion. Like, that's what confuses me is when players like this have all these different injuries. Like, I always wonder, like, are the other running backs out there just playing through this or something? Like, it just seems very weird that some players pick up every injury in the world. So I don't, I don't know what to say, Ryan. I don't know what's going on with DeAndre Swift, but you're right. We, it's time that we need to adjust and wait till we see a real snap share from him before we, we start him. Yep. Yeah. That that's all I would really add. Um, so I guess it's time to get on to the next game now, if no one has anything else to say. So the, I watched Patriots Colts. Uh, the Patriots won 26 to three. It was, I will say, not the most exciting Patriots game I watched. Generally, Pat's Colts is a pretty interesting rivalry that we kind of get excited for, but that was not the case at all today. It just, just felt like there was no energy whatsoever around this game, kind of from start to finish. So just to sort of paint the picture, uh, <laughs> at the end of the first quarter, the Colts had minus two yards of total offense. So it would literally be Ellinger would take the snap. He would either hand it off and it would go nowhere, or he would drop back and get immediately sacked. By the end of the game, Ellinger had been sacked nine times. Uh, he, it seemed like every single drop back, there was pressure. Like th there were maybe three or four times where he could actually drop back take a look at the field, go through his read progressions and throw the ball. Like that, it was a very rare occurrence. So I, it's hard to really evaluate him. And like, how, like, I, I don't know that I have any takes on how well he played or how good of a quarterback he is or how much upside he has because it, Matt Judon was just in his face pretty much instantly every time. Like this Colts offensive line is a serious problem. Uh, like shout out to Chris Sanzo for calling that one in the preseason. Cause I, I would not have guessed that this was how that was going to turn out. Uh, but I mean, just like general takes on the Colts after watching them. I think that they're kind of done for this season. Like that there was some speculation that, oh, maybe they think they actually have a better chance to win with Sam Ellinger than with Matt Ryan. But that that's not what I saw. This looked like a team that had kind of thrown in the towel, even the play calling, like, I completely forgot until like the third quarter that Ellinger was supposed to be a mobile quarterback, even having said that over and over on this very podcast multiple times last week when I was trying to talk myself into him as a DFS play. I, he just, what there were no design runs. Like he took off on a scramble. I once or twice, I think one of them got brought back by a holding penalty, but there were no design runs. And th this is for a quarterback that, had over a hundred rushing attempts every single year in college. Like th this guy loves to run. He, he, like he didn't test amazingly well. He's not 
like insanely fast if you're going to compare him to some of the athletes in the league like Kyler Murray or Lamar Jackson but it running the ball is like his thing and it seems like the Colts and Frank Reich just have no interest in calling an offense like that so yeah I mean when we said earlier that we're not optimistic about Jonathan Taylor turning around like this is why I I think the Colts are just done they are tanking for draft position and if Taylor's not 100% I don't think he will even see the field like I I wouldn't be surprised if this kind of gets dragged out to like week 12 week 13 and then Taylor just gets shut down for the year Mm -hmm. yeah I mean my takeaway from this situation is now that Deion Jackson is hurt, we obviously have to see how serious this is, but it doesn't feel like it's worth chasing anyone else in this backfield. Like if, if we're talking about a Jordan Wilkins and Philip Lindsay committee, like no thanks, you know, there's at least some hope with Deion Jackson that maybe he could take this over in, ja- in Jonathan Taylor's absence. But I don't know. My, my instinct is like it's Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman, and that's maybe it in this offense. Yeah, I mean, I'll talk about the backfield a little bit. So for some reason, Philip Lindsay got the first carry on the opening play of the game. Like I, I just so that he could be called the starter. I, I have no idea why. Um, yeah. But Dion immediately came in um, and w- was really seeing like a as close to like a bell cow of a workload as you're going to see in the NFL. Uh, he played 38 of the first 48 snaps through three quarters. He wasn't finding a lot of room to run. He was just kind of going straight into the line every single time up the middle. Uh, but I, I mean, that, that was just kind of the general muck of whatever this cult's offensive performance was. But yeah, then he got hurt catching a pass uh, in the third quarter towards the end. He caught it and then kind of turned around awkwardly. It looked like his feet got planted a little weirdly um, and then he got knocked out of bounds was like holding his knee I swear that he came back in for a play or two like he was on the field but what like didn't carry the ball like one or two snaps maybe like the series after but then was shut down um, and it was pretty much Jordan Wilkins the rest of the way but yeah I I would agree with you Eric I am not interested in adding Jordan Wilkins or Philip Lindsay I like you even on like my most insane in zero RB teams, like I, I'm playing like Cordero Patterson and Khalil Herbert happily over any Colts running back that is not a healthy Deion Jackson or Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. And then I guess I got a little out of order there, but as far as Michael Pittman goes, like, did it feel like you were watching an offense and he was the design number one option? Or is he just like another receiver in this offense where they spread it around? I mean, I, it's probably hard to tell when Sam Ellinger is getting sacked nine times for 60 yards, right? Yeah, it's almost impossible to tell. Uh, so Pittman ended up with six targets. It did seem like Ellinger, when he had the time to drop back and throw, it seemed like Pittman was his first read most of the time, but... A lot of that's like coming deeper down the field. Um, he had one really nice completion to Pittman where he kind of fought through contact, uh, but that was wiped away by a face mask penalty. Like the Colts just could not get anything going down the field. Um, as, and Ellinger probably had like three or four attempts in, in that fashion, but they just couldn't get together. I mean, the best that their offense looked the entire day was in the two minute drill at the end of the second half when they were just doing like quick throws to Paris Campbell, like right on the line of scrimmage. And he, he was 
kind of moving the ball. So I, that was what was working the best. I, I don't know why they didn't try to work that in a little bit more. Like you would think that that would sort of help escape this pass rush, but yeah, I don't know. As I said, it, it feels like as a team and especially with the play calling that the Colts have just kind of given up and thrown in the towel. Well, that's sad. Uh, just like this entire box score was for this game. So I, I don't even know where to go on the Patriots side either, Ryan. I mean, it's, there's not a lot to get excited about on the Patriots side. They did pull off the win here, five and four on the year. But uh, what do you think about this offense? Were they just in cruise control once they saw this Ellinger performance? It, yeah, it was very much like kind of how the Patriots would love to run their offense, which <laughs> is just not like not really taking any big risks and just kind of hanging on to a lead. Uh, I mean, Ramondre Stevenson had a fairly decent day. 15 carries for 60 yards, caught three of his seven targets for 10 yards and a touchdown. Uh, He also was not getting a whole lot of room to run. He was getting hurt by offensive line penalties. Uh, Cole Strange, um, Isaiah Wynn. He had a nice big gain on an Isaiah Wynn hold. uh, And I I was like really mad. And they give it right back to him and he rips an even bigger gain. Like that. that's just Ramondre Stevenson stuff. Kind of the... One bright spot as a Pats fan this year is it's been very fun to watch him. So, I yeah, like nothing's really changed in this Pats backfield. Damian Harris did miss the game with an illness. Uh, J.J. Taylor came in and was kind of spelling Ramondre here and there. Uh, notably, uh, Taylor did get a goal line carry um, on like the goal to go drive that that resulted from a punt block like the Pats were just set up on like the eight yard line the first play is J.J. Taylor getting stuffed and then Ramondre enters the game and immediately catches the touchdown on the next play so the the fantasy gods were looking out for us right there (laughs) um Stevenson also could have had another touchdown uh Mac missed him on like a very nice wheel route that he, he could have at least like brought them to the one or the two or likely a score for Ramondre. So yeah, like not, not an incredible stat line for Ramondre, but absolutely nothing to worry about. Like this offense is still running through him. Yeah. 46 snaps, JJ Taylor had 17. So we we don't think JJ Taylor's anything serious, right? He was just, he was just here until Damian Harris returns, right? He's just whoever Belichick picked as the backup for this week. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. This very, this just as easily could have been Pierre strong or Kevin Harris, but it, happened to be JJ Taylor this week and it, it, it which is a little surprising. I, I kind of thought that he was buried um, with both these rookies kind of making the team and being on and off the practice squad and whatnot. But it, yeah, yeah n- nice to see JJ Taylor still sticking around. I, I can pretend to believe in him as a dynasty asset when I'm bored next March. Yeah. Kind of sad for me to see Jacoby Myers five for 42. He really settled into a nice stretch, a little bit of a downer. I guess it's still a decent floor for PPR leagues, but anything to worry about here if you have uh, Jacoby Myers on your teams, or is this just uh, we need the other team to put up a fight first? That's really what a lot of it is, is Myers is not going to be reliable if the Patriots get into a positive game script. Uh, Like he had six targets today, but that's out of only a possible 28. So still well over a 20% target share. Only Ramondre Stevenson had more targets on the team than him. But yeah, we just need a game script where the Patriots are actually having to throw the ball and the other team is pushing them a little bit for Myers to really deliver in fantasy. There were two like kind of interesting moments with him. 
I, I mean, I guess the first interesting is maybe the wrong word. He did have a fairly costly fumble. Um, it led to a short field and that, that was the Colts only field goal for the, for the day was the Jacoby Myers fumble obviously didn't end up impacting the game really much at all, but it, I, I don't think Jacoby, I think Jacoby Myers is like Belichick proof. I, I don't think this is like how Jacoby Myers gets in the doghouse because yeah. th- he is the only guy that Mac Jones trusts. And I hope Belichick realizes that. Um, but the other kind of fun moment was early on, I think in the first quarter, there was like a third and one uh, that the Pats were trying to convert and Myers motions uh, like behind the line and it, a direct snap to him and he just kind of dives over like doesn't look like he's gonna make it and then mac jones like runs into the pile and pushes it forward and help help myers pick the first down up so that just some some little entertaining tidbits so it sounds like mac is over that injury so um he's running and pushing people through the pile his ankle is good to go so anything else with the rest of this passing game like are you discouraged by what you're seeing from Mac Jones, any other secondary targets, or is it, it pretty much just Jacoby Myers? Yeah. Devonte Parker missed this game with injury. So Kendrick Bourne was the one who ran the second most routes. Uh, he was 30 routes to Tyquan Thornton's 23, but overall there there's just nobody in this offense aside from Myers and Ramondre that we should be interested in for fantasy. Like uh, there would have to be some insane improvement from Mac Jones for a second target to be relevant at this point. And like, as much as I make fun of Zach Wilson and Jets fans, like Mac Jones has not looked very good either this year. He's just not, it feels like he's not going through his progressions. Like he has the arm talent. He can make a bunch of nice throws to his first read. But if that first read isn't there, he just kind of stands in the pocket and waits until he gets sacked. Or if there's room, he will take off, which is nice to see, I guess. But yeah, like he just like missing his outlets in the flat. It's it's just not like technically great quarterback play is how it looks to me. So, yeah, I again like as a Pats fan, uh, I'm I'm like the first guy to be like, oh yeah, we should draft another quarterback like this off season. I'm always ready to just be <laughs> cycling in these quarterbacks on rookie deals until you like very clearly strike gold. I don't think that's what's actually going to happen kind of knowing how this organization runs, but that it's, if the season ended today, that is where my head would be at. All right. Justin, any questions on this one that I missed? Uh, Any hot takes on either of these teams or uh, are you just ready for a nap after looking at this box score? Uh, I think my only question would be uh, back on the Colts side. um, Alec Pierce um, had his uh, worst performance of the season uh, since week one. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on him, and uh, should we hold him the rest of the way? Uh, put up uh, 65 yards on only three receptions last week, so you know, hopefully um, there'll be room for him to perform more when uh, Sam Allinger isn't getting sacked nine times a game. Yeah, I mean, just two targets for Alec Pierce this week. And yeah, yeah I mean, in theory, like Alec Pierce is the perfect kind of downfield threat type of receiver for what Sam Ellinger wants to do, but... I'm just really skeptical that this Colts offense is ever going to function in the way that it should. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's fine to drop Pierce. Like, I, I just don't want to be holding pieces of completely dysfunctional offenses. And that that's kind of what it boils down to. Like, I, I think that it 
made sense to be a little optimistic about him. Like th there could have been something there with the switch to Ellinger, but just the way the Colts seem to be running their organization straight to a top five pick right now is just not what we need to see for Alec Pierce. Yeah. And um, I'm looking at, of course, there's already an article out of beat reporters asking uh, Frank Reich if he would make a quarterback switch or not. They're like, I mean, as of right now, Matt Ryan hasn't practiced in two weeks with the, what they call it a grade two shoulder separation. So who knows when Ryan is ready. The other quarterback on the roster is, of course, Nick Foles. So I'm not sure where this offense goes if it's Nick Foles after Ellinger. It, I guess it probably couldn't hurt the pass catchers at this point, right? Like maybe we get kind of like that uh, Joe Flacco performance out of Nick Foles and we actually get some receiving work. But, yeah, it seems hard to believe that with Ellinger under center, we're going to get much beyond a running back and maybe Michael Pittman out of this offense. Yeah. Oh, it Nick Foles would be a huge improvement. I, I would love to see Nick Foles walk into this offense right now. But yeah, I get I guess it just comes down to how seriously are we going to take what the team said two weeks ago, which was that Ellinger was going to start for the remainder of the season. Like why why would you say that for starters? Like that you no, know, you're never gonna have to like hold yourself to that. Like no no one asked, basically. <laughs> like what I, I don't know why they felt the need to just go out on a limb like that and they're i mean yeah like either i'm right and this is the plan and they're gonna keep running the team into the ground or they're gonna go back on that and look kind of silly so i it's tough to say i like can't read the future so yeah i i guess that is like the one upside scenario for the like your jonathan taylor's or even your alec pierce's is that once again, an NFL head coach lied to us and <laughs> Ellinger will not be playing the rest of the year. All right. Sounds great. Um, that leaves the game that I covered up for last. Cincinnati Bengals won 42 to 21 over the Carolina Panthers. Game was not even nearly that close, though. Uh, this was 35 to nothing Bengals at the half. And it's interesting. I'll go into the offense as a whole. But I want to start with Mixon up top but because uh, he's going to be the story of this game. Mixon had 22 carries, 153 yards, four touchdowns, four catches for 58 yards, and another touchdown. And he didn't even play in the fourth quarter. So monster game out of Mixon in three quarters. But I thought it was kind of interesting because I didn't really notice much change from this Bengals offense. Like they kind of started out the same offense as they always do. And about the third drive, they just realized that the Panthers just simply could not stop them running the ball. And they're like, oh, OK, I guess we're going to run the ball this game. And that was kind of the whole first half. And all of a sudden it was 35 nothing like the Bengals didn't seem to make a change. I was shocked that the Panthers were this bad against the run. Like they've given up the ninth most rushing yards in the league coming into this game. But they were middle of the pack in yards per carry like. I was surprised to see them just get steamrolled like this. They have some talent on the defensive line, and the Bengals were just gashing them. I would say that Mixon broke more long runs in this one than he has the entire season combined. Uh, he had multiple 20-plus yarders, and I, I think we're just at the point where Joe Mixon is much better rushing north and south. He does not do very well when he's making cuts behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, maybe almost like Todd Gurley back in the day, like towards the end of his run, where if he got ahead of steam, he was looking good. Uh, I think that's where we're at with Mixon, and he he got some lanes to run through, and he made it work. But it was just kind of odd, Ryan. Like, I know the, the number one question people have is, like, what changed here? Why did Mixon break out? And it, it really supports your 
oppo regression stuff from earlier because it didn't seem like a whole lot changed. They were just all of a sudden gaping holes and Mixon was running through them. So I don't know what to say. It was an awesome game. Everyone probably started Mixon and got to enjoy this. And I, I think we should just enjoy it. But I'm not necessarily like leaping him up my ranks for next week. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like it, it's not as if his workload has really changed either like he still narrowly ran more routes than samaje p ryan 13 routes for mixon to p ryan's 12 i don't know how much of that p ryan usage was garbage time i imagine at least a decent amount of it so yeah yeah, like mixon it is essentially a three down bell cow at this point so yeah like you you've got to feel decent about him but yeah like we're not expecting five touchdowns every single game but I, yeah, like th- this, as you said, I, I think that this is just a good illustration of our feelings on a player can 180 very quickly just with a, a few discrete events. Like the, we work in such small samples in football that uh, that's all it takes is one game like this where everything just kind of clicks into place. Yeah. And I think we need to remember, especially beginning of next year, but like the NFL is just a crazy league and the Bengals looked awful against the Browns last week, and then they destroyed the Panthers this week. And I, I think if we try to play that game looking week to week with these teams and, well, this team beat this team and this team beat that team, and, like, it just doesn't make sense in the NFL. You have to kind of go with the talent, go with the coaching. But um, I just – man, this league changes so much from week to week. It's just hard to, to, to draw much sense out of it. So the Bengals played more like you would think they would this week. Um, but I don't think they're just going to be putting up 42 points on everyone either. So it's kind of a, as always, it's kind of an average of the last two weeks. Uh, it, it's definitely encouraging though, to see something coming from the running game. Cause this was, was being pent up all season. It, it just broke free. So otherwise like the passing game, I didn't think was super impressive. Um, Burrow was really efficient and played well. Like he didn't make it really any mistakes. And Burrow had a quarterback sneak touchdown, which I think is sneakily becoming a part of Burrow's game. He's got a bunch of rushing touchdowns this year. So that's a nice little bonus if you have uh, Burrow. But they're still missing Jamar Chase pretty clearly here. Like T. Higgins was a clear lead target, but it was all on like comeback routes to the outside. They were not over the top targets. Uh, They were safe targets. So, you know, it's, it's a good productive game for PPR leagues, especially when Higgins didn't play in the fourth quarter. But Um, he went seven catches, 60 yards on eight targets, like nothing super exciting, like just without chase, they don't have much downfield element right now. And it seemed like everything was outside to either Higgins or Boyd. Boyd had a nice back shoulder catch. Uh, he, Boyd just missed a touchdown that probably should have been a touchdown that did not get overturned on the challenge. They called him down at the one. So like, I don't know the passing game. I still think they're obviously missing Jamar chase, but they just don't have anyone to take the top off the defense right now. And I noticed defensive backs were kind of starting to jump routes a little bit um, in the, the first, second quarter, but then the running game took over and they just blew them out. So uh, still some concerns here. Bengals only pass attempt over 20 yards was a screen to mix in. Everything else was under 20 yards. So I would not take this game as everything is fixed in Cincinnati, but they do have a bye week next week and uh, they may be able to right the ship here a little bit. So I don't know if you have any questions on the passing game in general, Ryan. Um, I know everyone wants more out of Higgins when Chase is out, but I, I just I don't think it's going to be the same explosive offense without uh, without Chase out there. Yeah, I guess my I, I don't want to get into the argument about 
whether Jamar Chase is like the only reason that T Higgins has produced in his career. Cause that, that was, that was a really fun one on Twitter last week during prime time before that touchdown at the end of the game that Higgins scored. But I, I guess like an, an actual question about this offense is hey, what's the deal been with Hayden Hurst. So I, I know a lot of people thought that, he might become more productive and like a more reliable option with Chase being out. Uh, looking at the routes, I see that Hurst ran 22 of a possible 34 and what was targeted on five of them. So that that's actually a decent target per out run for a tight end. So what, I guess, what do you think of Hurst and it, is he like an, an actual low end tight end one while Chase is out or is it has nothing really changed? I mean, he's been pretty consistent, so I don't know if there's exciting upside there necessarily, but yeah, I mean, he lost some snaps because of the blowout as well. He looks good when he gets the opportunity. Like Burrow, one of the few passes he forced in today, uh, Hurst made a really just nice, difficult catch in traffic, kind of outmuscled the defender for the ball. Uh, he'll break tackles on targets. Like, I think he's just a real sturdy, dependable presence, so I'm not sure that he's going to break out, but you're looking at five for 35 today on five targets. Like I, I think that's that's about what Hurst is. He's going to have some better games where they're passing the ball more and in more of a shootout. But no, I think he's reliable. It's maybe a little bit like the Tyler Conklin type players where you're probably just not seeing that breakout. But uh, you can do worse than Hayden Hurst. He, he's, he's a part of the offense and he's going to get you points every week. All right. Good to hear. Yeah. So as you said, probably not like a lot of upside rest of season, but ju- just a guy you can play if needed. Um, yeah. So what, what I'm, and I know this is going, going to kill you to hear, but what, what I'm really curious about to hear about in this game is how, how did this PJ Walker train derail itself so quickly? Like we, we were just having the conversation before this week of, wow, PJ Walker might actually be good. Like he had what, like, one of the farthest thrown completions in NFL history a week ago. Uh, Like there were some comments before the game of how how it was very funny that Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold were like holding the clipboard and taking notes from PJ Walker. So that what, what happened, I guess. It was brutal. Uh, The Panthers had one first down in the first half, and that was from an illegal contact penalty on the Bengals. So a five yard penalty to give them the free first down. Uh, I mean, there's no way around it. P.J. Walker was awful. He had two really bad interceptions in the first half. Um, Even like the first down I mentioned where they got the penalty, it was thrown into double coverage for D.J. Moore. Like the bigger concern here, too, is that the Bengals were without Chidobe Wouzier, their number one corner. He's done for the year. One of the more underrated corners in the league. Uh, Mike Hilton, one of the best slot corners in the league, was out of this game. Uh, So they had – um, Eli Apple is their number one corner and two rookie corners who were like second round picks or later starting uh, good safety still, but they had a weak secondary at the corner position. And BJ Walker was three of 10 for nine yards and two interceptions in the first half. So, um, and this is also Bengals defense missing DJ reader at defensive tackle. Like Bengals fans were legit worried about this game from their defense. And Walker was really bad. Just, a couple forcing it into double coverage for DJ Moore, really bad decisions. One of them was an interception. Um, one where the Bengals linebacker just dropped back into coverage. He just never saw him and threw him right through it right to him. So, like, you know, you saw a glimpse on one play where PJ Walker broke a tackle in the backfield, spun out, and then he misfired trying to get someone, you know, the ball on the run. But 
you saw a little glimpse of his athleticism, but like, I mean, they just were not on the field in the first half. So it was just like three and out, three and out, turnover, three and out. Like, so he was bad. They never got anything going. And frankly, when, when Baker Mayfield came in in the second half, they scored a touchdown. It was off of a, a nice kick return, but touchdown right away. Like he did move the ball. Some, I, this would have been a closer game if Baker Mayfield had played. I, I would be surprised if it's not Baker Mayfield starting next week. Yeah, so I guess going forward, what does that mean for these receivers? Because, yeah, before the game, we we were talking about how this, like, P.J. Walker was D.J. Moore's lifeline. Terrace <laughs> Marshall is a thing now, is has resurrected from the dead, essentially. Yep. But, I mean, just looking at this box score, six targets for each of those players, uh, but only off of 30 attempts. I, I guess the reason for that is, as you said, the, the Panthers just – weren't really on the field in the first half, just not sustaining drives. The play volume wasn't there. So, it, I mean, do, how do we feel about these Panthers receivers now? Like, it, it is Mayfield better than Walker? Like, I, I we're going back and forth on this, I think. Well, we certainly are. I Eyeballing this, I believe the Panthers had 16 plays in the first half. <laughs> I, that, don't quote me on that, but I think they had 16 plays. So, um, yeah, it's hard to get any production when that's happening. Like you could barely even notice DJ Moore on the field in the first half. Um, as soon as Baker got in the game, he had his first reception in the game on that first drive. Terrace Marshall also had his first reception. They ended up throwing the touchdown on fourth down to the tight end, um, tremble, I think. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I would, it looked like DJ Moore is going to be in better shape with Baker Mayfield, but we've already been down this road before and it was not better. So I don't know. Baker was 14 to 20, 155. His first couple drives were good. Then the Bengals pulled all their starters and they added some more in, in kind of desperation time. So it's kind of hard to get a real good read on Baker, but it was certainly more of like a shotgun spread type offense where I would think targets are going to be a little more readily available for DJ Moore. So I, but I don't think we can be very optimistic on Moore. It's just it's just too much at this point. The quarterback play has been too bad, and um, I don't, I'm not sure if he can overcome this consistently. Terrace Marshall, like he went three for 53 in a touchdown. He's playing a ton of snaps. Um, he's running a ton of routes, but that touchdown was in the fourth quarter uh, against the Bengals' second round rookie defensive back. Like I, I don't think we can take a whole lot from Marshall. If you had to play him this week, I would just consider yourself lucky because it, it was definitely garbage time when he scored. So. I don't know. It's not going to be as bad. I mean, we just saw the Panthers beat the Bucks and then almost beat the Falcons. So it's obviously not going to be this bad every week. But, um, man, it's hard to be excited about anyone after this performance. Yeah, I honestly, when we look back on this season, my guess is that it was going to be like a two-week moment in time where we were feeling optimistic about DJ Moore. And, I mean, hey, th those were happened to be the games where he scored touchdowns. So I, I guess <laughs> another check check in the box of the, just how the narratives form around these players just based on one or two plays like that um all right so I, I guess last thing is Panthers backfield tell us what you saw obviously this was not a game script that it was going to be beneficial for them but going forward what what do you think of Deontay Foreman and Chuba Hubbard missed this one yeah I mean hard to see much in Foreman. I mean, he rushed seven times for 23 yards, had two catches for negative two. Uh, again, Panthers just weren't on the field much when they were running the ball. Uh, Foreman's longest run was six yards. Uh, he didn't play third downs. He wasn't on the field in the two-minute drill. So 
if they can stay in games. I mean, you know, we've seen enough the last two weeks that I do think he's talented. But uh, if the Panthers are playing from behind, he's just not the third down back. That was Raheem Blackshear today was the third down back. Uh, He's a smaller back filling in for Chuba Hubbard. Caught four passes on four targets, but, you know, kind of in garbage time. So, yeah, Foreman's just not a three down back, and you're going to count on him to rush the ball and score touchdowns. So, Good luck in the NFL in 2022 trying to predict which weeks the Panthers are going to be in games because I, I just I don't really know. But there's just there was no breathing room. I mean, as a team, they were 18 carries for 64 yards with a long of seven. So the Bengals did a good job against the Panthers run game. Yeah, I guess my take here is that I, I've stopped being interested in the Panthers backfield if they are going to split up the high value touches like this. Like if the goal line back is not also the third down back, then on a team like this where as you said we wouldn't expect them to be in that many games and apparently the ones they are in we can't predict at all what did not think it was going to be the bucks so yeah, yeah pro- probably not like a great fantasy asset going forward i mean i don't think chuba hubbard is going to come back and totally take this backfield over either i think it, my guess is it's going to be pretty similar no matter which names we're kind of shuffling into these spaces yeah, I mean, I would say Foreman didn't get any of the three goal line snaps. That was Blackshear, but they weren't in the goal line until the second half in garbage time. So I think Foreman could be the goal line back still, but it's just your point's still correct. If, if When they're trailing or in third downs, if he's not on the field, it's probably not going to set up well for a Carolina Panthers team that is, what, two and two and seven now? So, yeah, it's just not a good situation most weeks for Foreman. Yeah, and I don't think I have any other questions really about this game. Uh, so I guess we can wrap it up unless you had any other thoughts, Eric. Nope, that's pretty much it. Bengals just go to the bye, uh, five and four, um, hoping to get some players healthy. Panthers, I would expect, like I said, to see Baker Mayfield, but who knows? I, they've got to be in tank mode at this point. So fun, fun team that the Carolina Panthers are. And I let's get, I wish they would have traded DJ Moore. I guess that's my last thought. So otherwise, sorry, everyone. I feel like we really hit you with some bad offenses in this one, but um, you know, you're probably watching the good teams, the better games out there. I hope we spared you some of that and caught you up on all this. So um, I appreciate Justin for joining us. Uh, Appreciate Ryan for joining me as always. Uh, We'll have our waiver wire podcast coming out soon. Um, but of course, please check out the, what we saw article. We will go into every single fantasy relevant player. Uh, the team does a great job. Um, if you're interested in joining the community, check out PL plus on our website. Uh, Justin is a moderator there, does a great job and it's just uh, an awesome community to be a part of. So, um, again, thanks for listening everyone. Hopefully you get some wins in week nine and we will talk to you again soon.